Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Amos and Doug and Mary. Let's look to God in prayer. Thank you, O God, for sending your spirit upon us. We pray, O Lord, that you would teach us anew as we reflect on the power of Pentecost and the coming of the Spirit into our lives and into the work of each of us as your people. That we do not need to depend on ourselves, but we can look to you. We can look to your Spirit to empower us, to embolden us, and that we too might be transformed by your Spirit. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Transformed by the Spirit. Mennonites do not talk a great deal about the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit. We do not want to appear being proud or to be proudful. And so perhaps that's why we don't say and express the gifts of the Spirit that we have experienced. That we don't want to tell others about what God has done by God's Spirit in our lives. Carol Penner writes, and I quote, Mennonites rarely hear people talking about the Spirit. We are way more comfortable talking about Jesus. We are loath to point to someone and say, She is filled with the Spirit. It might lead to pride. End quote. I want to look specifically this morning at the Gospel of John in John chapter 15, verses 20, 26 and 27, and then also in chapter 16. And the Gospel of John was written about 90 years in the Common Era, which means it was written about 60 years after the time of Jesus on this earth. And after the resurrection and after the ascension of Jesus into heaven, small communities of Christians were scattered around the Mediterranean basin. These followers of Jesus were focused on the teachings of Jesus and living out what it meant to be a disciple of this master. And one of those communities was the Johannian community that produced the Gospel of John and also produced the three epistles of John. And this Gospel was written for and by this particular community. And now we have this particular passage of Scripture in John 15 and 16. And as Willard Swartley suggests in his commentary, he says, quote, When a parent or pastor is about to leave this world through imminent death, parting words to children and parishioners are difficult. Emotions of love and care for those receiving the parting words are intense, and words come with difficulty. End quote. So in this passage that we're looking at this morning, 
Jesus is offering pastoral care for his disciples. And you may want to, I failed to say this earlier, but you may want to uh, take notes or fill in the blanks of the sheet that's uh, in your bulletin on, uh, on the pages there where it's listed as message notes. And so I'm coming to the, the first one, the first answer um, that I'm about to say. Or you may want to just jot other notes down at the bottom of that sheet. But Jesus is giving his farewell address to his disciples. And they really find it hard to believe that Jesus will be leaving them. He's saying goodbye. He's giving his farewell address. And so in John 15, 26 and 27, Jesus says to them, But I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. So Jesus is telling them the fact that he is going away makes it possible for the Spirit to come, makes it possible for the Advocate to come. And the word Advocate in the Greek is the word parakletos, or the paraclete that has come now into the English language primarily from that Greek, from the Greek. And the meaning of that is a person who is called into help, particularly in like a legal situation in a trial, a legal advisor or an advocate in court. Other translations would use these words, comforter, encourager, helper, and I believe it's a message, uses the word friend. It is an advocate who will present the case when truth is on trial. And a similar scripture then is found in Matthew chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, where Jesus says to the disciples, when you are arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. For it is not you who will be speaking. It will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. So let's look then at John 16, verses 4 to uh, the latter part of verse 4 to 16. I did not tell you this, and this is Jesus going away uh, comments to them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Be about sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, 
more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will speak not on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Jesus went on to say, In a little little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. So in this passage, Jesus is warning his disciples of the coming persecution. He is warning them that indeed life for them will not be easy. In fact, it will be difficult. So the Spirit is given in the context of persecution, in the context of hardship, in the context of difficulties in their lives as believers. So one of the roles of the Spirit is to assist believers as we are walking through the challenging and the difficult experiences of life. And for most of us, we will have some difficult in life. We will rarely is it a person who will sail through life completely smoothly with nothing going wrong, so to speak. Believers are tested beyond their own strength where we need the resources and we need the strength from Jesus and the anointing and the power of the Spirit. Back in January of 1977, while we were living in Virginia, Anna and Some other relatives traveled by car to Arthur, Illinois, to attend the funeral of her grandmother. And in the Midwest that weekend, there was a bitter cold spell and a blinding snowstorm, or perhaps a better word would be a blizzard. And I was caring for our two young sons, they were small and at that time, at home while Anna was on this trip to attend the funeral in her cousin's car. And on that Sunday evening while Anna and the carload were en route home, the evening news on the TV vividly described the intensity of the storm in Illinois and Indiana and Ohio, the routes that they would be traveling. And needless to say, I was quite disturbed by this information. And I knew that their car would be traveling through these difficult decisions, through these difficult conditions, because they needed to return home as quickly as possible. And I called my brother-in-law in Harrisonburg because his wife was, uh, Anna's sister, was also with them. And During a time of restlessness that night, as I retired for the night, and during my time of restlessness, the Spirit of the Lord came to me and gave me a vision, or 
perhaps a dream, a vision of angels surrounding that car, one on each corner of the car. It was then I was able to return to sleep, knowing that God's servants were protecting them as they traveled. Indeed, when they returned safely to Virginia the next day, they had experienced two near accidents due to the sub-zero temperatures and the treacherous conditions where even many, many semi-trailers were pulled over on Interstate 70. It was the Spirit of God who ministered to me and gave me a deep sense of peace and comfort that night in the midst of my worry, in the midst of my concern for my spouse who was traveling home in, that adver- in those adverse conditions. The Spirit of God comes to us and ministers to us in the difficult times, in the difficult experiences of life. It is the Spirit of God who sustains us as we walk through challenging and difficult journeys. Jesus describes then the activities of the Spirit. Jesus says that the Spirit will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. In other words, Jesus says the Spirit is a prosecuting attorney and who will deal with unbelievers because they did not believe in the Lord. The Spirit will expose and bring to light sin by the witness of the church and by the ministry of the Word. I am sometimes surprised how the word, how the words that are spoken in my, as I share the gospel, as I share the scripture in a Sunday morning and preaching, it is the Holy Spirit who takes those words and who brings circumstances and experiences into our minds and reveals actions and attitudes that need to be changed. And as persons share with me on how a message, how they experience the sermon, there are times that the Spirit applies that to the particular situation that we find ourselves in. Or that the Spirit reveals attitudes that we need to banish from our own lives, that we need to banish from our experience. And the writer to the Hebrews says, in a familiar verse of Scripture, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And so we might say that the basic sin of the world is not believing in Jesus. The basic sin of the world is unbelief. And it was this sin that the wicked mob was following that crucified Jesus on the cross. And yet, that sin was not just for that generation. The sin of unbelief is found in all generations. The belief that we do not need God, that I can go it on my own, 
that I don't need to follow the ways of God. I don't need to have God in my life, to have God directing and controlling my life. So the Spirit is a prosecuting attorney, convincing the world of righteousness because Jesus has gone to the Father. Jesus was accused of being a blasphemer. He claimed very forthrightly that he is, that he was the Son of God. And indeed he was. He was raised from the dead to the glory and was resurrected and then ascended into heaven. And Paul then gives the gospel in a nutshell when he says in 1 Timothy 3.16, Christ was revealed in a human body and vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels and announced to the nations. He was believed in and throughout the world and taken to heaven in glory. So, the coming of the Spirit proves that Jesus is with the Father. And Jesus is gone from us. Jesus is gone from this world, but he did not leave us as orphans. He sent the Spirit as our advocate. The Spirit will convince the world of judgment. The rule of Satan was abruptly interrupted by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection. It is now that Jesus has the the upper hand, that Jesus was victorious over the enemy, over the devil. Jesus was not judged for doing wrong, was not judged by the cross on doing wrong. Instead, the prince of this world, the enemy of Christ, was judged at the cross. And as we see in verses 13 and 14, the Spirit is a teacher who reveals the truth. Jesus reminds the disciples that the Spirit will guide them into truth. And perhaps many of us can remember a teacher whom we really appreciated that we had in elementary and high school or college. Certain teachers who excelled at their craft and were able to motivate their students to to do the best in the particular subject whether it was history or, or science or great literature, persons who, who took an interest in their students. And so this is the kind of teacher that the Spirit, is, the Spirit of God is. And Jesus is emphasizing that the Spirit is not originating some new teaching. Instead, the Spirit points persons to Jesus to him. The Spirit will only speak what he hears and will will reveal truths that are spiritually discerned. Probably many of us have had the opportunity of reading a passage of Scripture many, many times. And perhaps we've been in a particular class, a Sunday school class or a small group or a Bible study 
And there's some new facet, there's a new nugget of truth that we became aware of. Even though we had read and studied that scripture many, many times before. That, my friends, is the Spirit of God who is able to give us a new nugget, who is pointing the way to Jesus as we look at the Word of God. This is the work of the Spirit of God pointing to Jesus, the Son, the the, uh, other person of the Trinity. The work of the Spirit is totally centered on Jesus. The Spirit of God will never, ever contradict what is stated in the Word or go against the teachings and the example that we have in Jesus. Let's now look, as we think of being transformed by the Spirit, let's look at the implications of Pentecost and the coming of the Spirit. And the first thing we might say is, that's on the screen there, uh, is the disciples were infused with power at the time of Pentecost, at the coming of the Spirit. And as we heard in the scripture medley presented to us, they heard the sound as a rushing mighty wind. Wind and fire bring change. When you see a fire that has devastated the forest on a mountainside, you can see the havoc that was wreaked by the fire. And the disciples were a common, ordinary group of people. And at the crucifixion of Jesus, it was Peter, Peter the spokesperson for the disciples who followed at a distance. And he was reluctant. He was afraid to let even a little servant girl know that he was from Galilee and that indeed he was following Jesus. We can see that indeed, Peter and the other disciples were really, really scared and fearful. And even though after the resurrection, even though they knew about the resurrection, they still hid behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jews. They were afraid that they might be next. And you recall Thomas. Thomas said, well, I won't even believe that Jesus is alive until I see the the nail prints and am able to put my hand in his side. And note also that their human capacities were transformed into supernatural gifts and abilities. Supernatural gifts and abilities. Acts 2, 1 to 4. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit 
give them this ability. So the result of the coming of the Spirit was they were able to speak in the languages that other people could hear and could understand. Now, did they exalt themselves? Did they say how great it was, what they had experienced? Did they talk about being super spiritual? Luke records that they declared the wonders of God to the people. The focus was on what God was doing. So their fear and their embarrassment were changed into a holy boldness. They were transformed from being this really fearful bunch of people, bunch of men, into a powerful group who were not afraid to boldly proclaim the gospel and confronted the Jews in Acts 4, confronted the Jews about what they had done. They boldly proclaimed that indeed they had crucified the Messiah. And Acts 4 says that they realized that these disciples were unschooled and ordinary men. And as the healing took place, the, the lame man, and the, they were able to observe the, the miracle that had happened, they realized that indeed something great had happened, something out of the ordinary had happened, and they could not deny the miracle that had just taken place by the work of the Spirit of God. Their sense of loneliness and abandonment was transformed into perseverance, was transformed into stamina. After the second arrest in Acts chapter 5, Peter said, or Peter was brought before the authorities and he was questioned. And they say, we give you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name. He said, instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him and you want to make us responsible for his death. But the disciples were not about to be dissuaded from sharing about the power of God. They answered, we must obey God rather than any human authority. The Spirit's power is indeed unlimited to bring about change in our lives and in the life of our congregation. We need to be sensitive to the voice of the Spirit of God, to for the voice of the Spirit of God to be sensitive and to hear that voice and to hear that voice as it comes to us by an impression, by a thought, and to ask the question, is the Spirit leading me that direction? And then to pay attention to what the Spirit is doing. David Miller, who is now a professor at Anabaptist Mennonite Biblical Seminary, the former pastor at the State College Mennonite Church, writes, on September 11, 2001, as I prayed about the horrors that were unfolding at the Twin Towers in Manhattan, I heard a persistent voice that said, go to your neighbor. I knew immediately who the neighbor was. 
It was the president of the Islamic Society of Central Pennsylvania. We lived on the same street, and our children walked to school together, and we had worked on interfaith dialogue. Late in the afternoon of, of 9-11, I found myself on our neighbor's step, uncertain about what I would say when someone answered my knock on the door. Abraham came to the door, and I asked how he and his family were doing. And then I added, I want you to know that if in the days and weeks ahead your children or any member of our family is taunted or of your family is taunted or threatened, our home is a safe place to come to. He responded, David, come in. And for the next two hours, we discussed the events of the day and plumbed the depths of our faith. End of quote. Carol Penner, the person I quoted from at the beginning of my sermon, is a Mennonite pastor in Vineland, Ontario. And she describes a vivid encounter that she had with the Spirit of God. She says, quote, she was visiting a dying woman as a pastor. And she said this woman was bitter and opinionated. She was recalcitrant and grumpy in the end. She was dying with much unfinished business and many broken relationships. She was still clear in her mind and many relatives were gathered in the hopes that some final peace might yet be found. She was refusing to see them. We needed the Holy Spirit to show up in a big way and to make some changes. As I drove to the woman's house, I prayed, God, send your Holy Spirit down. We really need the Spirit here. And then she goes on and says, My visit was similar to many other visits. Her voice was more feeble, but there was still her litany of complaints, the blame directed at everybody else. And I asked her whether she wanted to make peace with some of the people who had gathered. She declared that she had no unfinished business and no apologies to make. She was lying in the bed, and I was sitting in the chair next to the bed. And as I listened to her, a wave of frustration and even dislike washed over me and a sense of hopelessness about lost chances. And then something happened. It was like a whoosh, definitely a physical sensation. I was suddenly and completely filled with love for this woman. As I looked at her, she was someone who was incredibly dear to me, so entirely lovable. Now I went to her bed and bent over her and I put my hand on her forehead and prayed with her a prayer of fervent blessing, wishing her well on her way. I kissed her goodbye and she said, thank you, dear. What had just happened? I'd asked the Holy Spirit to show up and the Holy Spirit had arrived. But it hadn't occurred to me that I was the one who needed to be changed, end of quote.
as the Spirit works in our lives and as the Spirit works in the life of our congregation, we, my sisters and brothers, will be transformed. The work of the Spirit of God is limited only by our lack of prayer and our lack of faith in God. And if we call on the name of the Lord in confession, if we call on the name of the Lord in prayer, God has given us victory over the enemy. We will be victorious as we move into the future. And as we give ourselves to prayer, and as we yield ourselves completely to the Spirit of God, we will be changed. We will be transformed by the wind and by the fire of the Spirit. Amen.